need two cups of cornmeal finely ground Make sure it's white when you mill it And then some more, about an inch deep Real hot but not smoking in the skillet Four spoons of flour, teaspoon of salt Then you pour from that whistling pot Two cups of boiling water Be careful, don't you spill it Now comes the tricky part You gotta add the water to all that dry stuff you got And the only way to do it is to put your hands in it Do it quickly, cause it's hot You drop it in the cylinder when they're around Turn them over when they're brown Feeds for hungry people, that's a lot Hot water, cornbread My grandma's cornbread See her in the kitchen, oh I miss her so I hear my grandma say, bless my soul It takes me back to childhood Sunday morning Grandma singing in some mystery key Good afternoon. Welcome to Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food Radio, here on Lexington's Community Radio, WLXULPFM, also streaming live on LexingtonCommunityRadio.org. And my name is Chris Michael. I'm here with my co-host, Rona Roberts. Hi. And co-host Weta Michael is not here. She's not here. Because we, she's doing something fabulous. She's up in... Um, Vermont. Shelburne, Vermont. Yes, she's doing a Chef's Collaborative workshop with the James Beard Foundation about um, sustainability and food waste, and she gets back tonight, so I'm sure we'll hear oral about it. I think we're all going to be doing more composting and more successfully after we hear yes, from she Wida. Did, she tweeted a picture of compost school. Yes, and her inspiration they're so. off, they're from. <laughs> we're excited about this, yeah. Anyway, well, how are you, Rona? Chris, I'm doing really well, and we have a fantastic guest. You may have heard her giggle a little bit in the background. Um, She is one of our rare repeat guests because, honestly, we touched the very little bit of the surface of her work when she was here in June. We have Dr. Nicole Brazil with us. She is... um, she, we talked in June with she and with with Nicole and her sister um, Becca Self, who is the executive director of Food Chain in Lexington, um, about their. We meant to talk about their work, but you know they had such an interesting upbringing and food history and um, kind of uh, I would say um, awakening to justice concerns in the in the world. That we never got really to, especially to Nicole's work. But it was um, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I but really welcome, that. Nicole. Um, and so, before we even do, you know, the wonderful, re- I'll, I'll introduce you a little bit more formally. But we like to begin each show, as you know, because you're a veteran, um, with our best bite or sip of the week. It's probably only fair to make Chris go first if he's ready. Are you ready, Chris? Oh, sure, I'm ready. Good. Um, what was it, your best bite or sip? <laughs> how about uh, fresh garden zucchini, mm-hmm. grated, mm-hmm. sautéed uh, with a little onion and garlic. Mm-hmm. And, Do this at uh, home, folks. In uh, some olive oil and a little bit of butter. Mm-hmm. And finished with parm- freshly grated Parmesan cheese. Oh, naturally, yes. yes. So gr- grated on the large side of your box grater. Did you squeeze it? 
Uh, yes. To get a little of the juice out? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds kind of like heaven, almost noodles, but with much more flavor and much fewer empty carbs. (laughs) That's good. That was simple, but good. Yeah. And everyone can do that because we have zucchini everywhere right now. How about you, Nicole? Let's see. For me, this week is all about tomatoes. Um, and in particular, these tiny little tomatoes that my family saves the seeds for. They're called little cranberry tomatoes, smaller huh. than cherry tomatoes. Huh. And uh, so my child is at daycare, and this last Friday, or this last week, they've been talking about community helpers. So firemen, policemen, uh, officers, etc. And he was asked to bring in a show-and-tell item that represents something about community helpers. So we did a lot of talking about how can children be community helpers. Oh. And my child, who is three, and I helped to start um, along with the Presbyterian Church across the street from where we live on Rosemont Garden, a community garden this last year. A wonderful community garden, and Anne has done an amazing job getting this going. And one of the things that we planted were these tiny little cranberry tomatoes that my mom's been growing for decades and we save the seeds every year and so for his show and tell he wanted to prick harvest and serve all these little tomatoes to his friends so he picked tiny cranberry tomatoes (laughs) and shared them with all of his teachers and his friends at school so well and you know it also occurs to me that being part of a seed saving clan is a community helper uh, in the biggest possible way it may be early for him to understand that because he doesn't know about um, seed stores and and uh, big big ag and all of that, but you certainly do. Are they red? The cranberry yes, twins when they're, they're ripe, little red, ripe, delicious little. They sound like kind of like tomatoes. champagne tomatoes, like the equivalent of champagne grapes. Those little teeny tiny. They are grapes. exactly, oh, exactly. That's but they burst in your mouth, and so they have also the sort of sensory pleasure of that. Mm. And so little kids love them. Oh, we're probably going to get some of those no, seeds. Uh, <laughs> I was going to bring them. There's no peeling or seeding those. Yeah, no way. that's <laughs> wonderful too. But they they have enough seed inside for you to save that's and right. and your for your mother to do that. <laughs> um, oh, I have such a challenge about my best bite because I spent from Wednesday to Sunday in Chicago um, with, um, among other things, with a foodie son who knows every good place to eat in the whole world. And so I probably have 30 best sips or bites. But I thought that in one of the most, one of the things I realized is that I have a, I, I'm a coffee fan. I have to have one really good cup of coffee every day. Um, and so I made it my um, pleasure while I was there to visit, <clears throat> to look up coffee, excuse me, <clears throat> coffee shops near me um, on my little smartphone and um, of the 14 that were within a, a with, that were within two tenths of a mile. I visited seven, but I only tasted coffee at four. Um, but I had a new taste, and whether it's—I don't know if it was my best, but it was most interesting. Um, there's a coffee shop called La Calombe, which is in other places as well. It's in a few other places, um, and they are set up differently from most coffee shops. One of the things you can do is. Um, get a draft latte. (laughs) They have draft latte. Um, And they also have cold brew in bottles, and you can open one of those bottles, pour it over some ice. Then you can add 
if you want, some water or some sparkling water. They have taps oh. for customers to use to add Never these different things. I know. Um, and, of course, all the usual syrups and all. So um, my son, Eli, suggested that he, that he would make me his favorite mix drink, which was half a small bottle of cold brew coffee with a little bit of half and half topped and uh, on ice I should say topped off with uh, sparkling water <laughs> and so I have definitely had a new taste sensation yeah. carbonated coffee is new to me um, wow. and really interesting so I'm gonna go home and try some yeah <laughs> well I have to admit I had an open half can of, of just uh, you know plain unflavored um, seltzer in the refrigerator this morning left over from uh, last night and I I I, I, I I dumped it in. Yeah, I did. Because I'm still in iced coffee mode at the moment. So unsweetened? Unsweetened. I didn't sweeten it. Now, you can, uh, of course. And they had at this coffee shop, you know, perfectly made simple syrup from organic brown, brown colored, you know, natural sugar. But I don't really like sweet coffee. Because there's a coffee flavored soda from, uh, I think it's from Brooklyn. It's a sparkling... Uh sugar sweetened coffee soda pop does it have like creamy milk stuff in it no it's just it's it's, clear it's clear but it's sweet Mm, have you tried it yeah and yeah that's good but it's sweet yeah it's like coffee coca-cola well (laughs) (laughs) sometimes one needs sweet i i'm I'm not always opposed to sweet i mean every once in a while you have it but i just coffee. but it's interesting i mean the seltzer and that's like an egg cream too that's sort of a Uh similar thing Uh milk and or Italian yes. soda. It, especially if you tipped in a little something yeah. a little sweet and a little bit of vanilla. That's a good idea with coffee though. Yeah. It what it did. Lexington needs that. I know. <laughs> well anyone's listening. You, I wonder if anyone has any restaurants around here where they could try out new know, things like that. Somebody well, might you know, have a I just had too. cold coffee at Cup of Commonwealth. So it's the first time that I've had cold coffee or the cold brew coffee at uh-huh. a, at an establishment. It's uh-huh. really good. Yeah. It really is. So I don't imagine it would be very hard to go from that to adding some seltzer and other things right they would be a likely place yeah, to cup of commonwealth our mm-hmm. friends over on what is that little street right off uh, main street eastern. Eastern. eastern eastern and they're i think right they, off main street and they now have a little facing on main street don't they haven't they expanded to that little front section so we like them <laughs> among our even if there's not 14 or whatever i said that number was within two tenths of a mile we are getting richer in lovely community building community-oriented coffee places in Lexington. And for that, we're so grateful to all of our good friends who do that. Indeed. So with coffee kind of lingering on our palates, we'll take a short break um, and come back and dive into the story behind the story of uh, Dr. Nicole Brazil's work with food and justice. Be right back. What's up, amigos? You're invited to Bucana's Nightclub, Wednesday through Sunday, to enjoy dancing and karaoke with the best of DJ Rios. We're located at 907 Winchester Road, Lexington, Kentucky. For more information, call 859-684-9895. I'm First District Councilman James Brown. 2016 marks the 100th anniversary of Douglas Park located at 726 Georgetown Street. This park has enriched the lives of so many within Lexington. 
So please join us in a series of events designed to emphasize and highlight the importance of this iconic landmark that means so much to so many in our community. For a list of events, please visit the Frederick Douglass Centennial Celebration Facebook page or look for calendars posted in local businesses throughout the community. Okay, I remember the days. High rights, low lefts, even Stevens and Fades. Troops, Lottos, and BKs, those was the days. All right, somebody play something. Find me at work high in my ivory tower Every Tuesday and Thursday during a few office hours If my door is open and I have time to talk I'll offer free advice from way up on my soapbox I love to gaze over my glasses during a good long lecture Intellectualizing theories and making profound looking gestures But today I'm at a conference where I will present a paper Attended only by colleagues who owe me a favor. Elementary teachers love the children, it's easy to see. High school instructors love the subjects they teach. But here at the college, I know it all so well. This professor's learning. We are back with hot water cornbread. That's a little Monty Selby with the professor song. I thought appropriate. Don't you think? <laughs> okay, it made me laugh. It made me laugh a lot. But I will just say the entire story and premise of being here is the how do we break out of the ivory tower. So that was particularly appropriate and funny start. There you go. That'll be the, that, that will be the title for our show and its podcast, which we will uh, produce on um, Savoring Kentucky and then link up on Hot Water Cornbread's Facebook page. Usually by noon tomorrow, we have that thanks to the wonderful people here at Lexington Community Radio. I'm um, host Rona Roberts here at Hot Water Cornbread with my co-host Chris Michael and our beloved but temporarily off-getting boot-camped um, co-host Chef Weta Michael and our beautiful guest for today, assistant professor at Western Kentucky University's Glasgow campus, Nicole Brazil, Dr. Nikki. <laughs> Actually, my students call me Dr. B because that last name Brazil has too many E's and A's in it. Right, right. Ooh, how do I say that? It yeah. has. It's a lovely name. And and because there's not very many other Brazils in the world, it's easy to look you up on Facebook. I mean, on on the internet and see all the good things you've been up to, which is going to be the focus of our conversation. So. Um, when Nicole was here in June, we just sort of touched on the fact that she carries um, the her passion and commitment to education and engagement out of classrooms and into communities and um, excites students and community to um, see new things in themselves and to um, make progress in ways that I think is really unusual for most university professor, certainly in my experience. So um, we're going to talk about as many of them as we possibly can today here on WLXULPFM 93.9. And could we start, Nicole, with your work on breaking ground? Sure. Well, so by way of introduction, just a little background. So I'm a sociology professor. Um, and I teach at a regional campus. This is 45 minutes away from Bowling Green. It's the heart. It's a working class rural farming community, um, Barron County, Kentucky. 
and um, I do teach some standard sociology courses, but what I have been working very hard to do is develop a, a different model of engaged teaching that involves building classes around community projects that are defined by marginalized groups out in the community. So that is one of the things I'm going to talk about today. So let's just, let's just break that down uh -huh. just a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so if I start at the end of your sentence, defined by marginalized groups out mm -hmm. in the community. So can you describe for our readers an example of a marginalized group that you might turn to and ask questions? Are you going to, maybe you're going right there. I, yes, I okay. am. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I have incorporated three different projects into seven classes at this point. Okay. And um, some of them have been food and agriculture related. My degree is from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where in community environmental sociology. So I do have that sort of background and interest in food. Um, and then I've also worked as a partner with the Housing and Homeless Co Coalition in based out of Bowling Green, where they did a lot of neighborhood canvassing in neighborhoods where people traditionally do not have a voice mm -hmm. and um, found that there's a real problem with abuse of renters in that area. So mm -hmm. I worked on them with a renter's education project. So mm -hmm. that's what I mean starting from marginalized group, meaning starting from people who don't often have a voice mm -hmm. about the problems that affect them that they themselves would like to work on changing. And then I pair that and their desires and projects that come out of that with projects based out of my classes. And as it happens, many of my students are also working class students who take to these projects in a very deep way. Um, that, that was one of the reasons I knew we wanted you to come back because after we had you here in June, we, you and I stood out in the parking lot in the blazing sun, mm -hmm. and you were telling me some of the, um, you know, s some of your students' experiences. Um, and I was like, okay, we need these stories to go wider. Um, so I'm glad and you're I here. so appreciate that. <laughs> well, and this, so is, this is a labor of love and a lot of people's labor and love. This is not just about me. And so, and I think that what I have seen happen in the last, I mean, I've been in, at this campus for the last five years and mm -hmm. what I have seen come out of these projects and these students as they go on to become community leaders is nothing short of amazing. So do you want to go there and tell us some of those stories? Um, uh, at, well, sure. How do, you, how do you want? Sure. I mean, I think one made it, one way to start talking about this is since this is our this wonderful, amazing food program is to start by talking about the latest project. Okay. And that is called um, Project Breaking Ground. Mm -hmm. So this was a course. Well, it's now I have integrated three courses into this project. Um, the idea for this course. Is, I guess began less than a year ago. Wow. Um, in November of last year, um, I was going to be teaching a food and agriculture class, sociology of food and agriculture, in the spring, and I was looking for a class project. Um, and I have two different groups that I working, was working with at the time. So for one, I oversee a student sustainability organization called the WKU Glasgow Green Toppers. Um, started <laughs> the Green Toppers is, is at the Hilltopper campus. Exactly. Yeah, or, or in the Hilltopper um, uh, University. You got it, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So these are the Green Toppers, mm -hmm. interested in sustainability issues, mm -hmm. right? So we have a very active chapter at the Glasgow campus, and the students are able to identify whatever projects they want to do. They decide, I see them through it. So they had been inspired by a lecture on prison gardens and were very interested in, well, what could that look like? At the same time, I had a student who was working inside the Barron County Detention Center. She was doing inmate programming with, um, with inmates there, and they were doing basic skills kind of stuff. And so she knows her, in, her 
her students very well. Mm -hmm. And the main concern that they had at that facility was A, that they didn't have enough productive to do at their time. They wanted mm -hmm. to use this opportunity to really better themselves mm -hmm. and give back to the community. And secondly, the food just frankly was pretty awful. Mm -hmm. And so in talking about that, my student was speaking with her students about and they we're really excited at the prospect of trying to do something to change those things. So let's let's back up one second and and give let's paint the picture of a detention center, a, a oh, county yeah. detention center this for people who haven't center. been. Mm -hmm. So what would land me in the county detention center? What kinds of things? Sure. Well, they have both local people who are from the local region and they're also state inmates, but mm -hmm. for the most part, these are fairly low-level offenders. Mm -hmm. um, so the majority of the people there are for drug-related charges mm. that are in in jail i mean yeah. they have people at that facility mm -hmm. you know who have much more serious crimes under their belt mm -hmm. but for the majority of the people there they're pretty low level theft you know um bad checks mm -hmm. and drugs mm -hmm. mostly and so your student who works there yes um works with male and female she does yes uh, mm -hmm. okay so she does these programs for both of them, mm -hmm. and she is very passionate about it. She's a sociology major. She'd taken a couple of classes with me. She was currently in a My Poverty and Inequality class where we were doing a, this big community project with the Housing and Homeless Coalition mm -hmm. on renters' education. And so she was very familiar with, with what these kinds of projects <laughs> look like. Uh -huh. And in talking about them with her students and talking about issues of inequality and what it means to take control of your situation and transform it, um, which is the message she brought to them. This was something they were really excited about. At the same time, I have an amazing former student, Angela Briggs, who has been a critical partner for me on, on pretty much everything I have done in Barron County. A student back started in my classes back in 2012 and since graduated, works for local media now, mm -hmm. does an amazing job. Mm -hmm. um, she was very uh, had a very good working relationship with the jailer and talked to the jailer and said, hey, you interested in doing some sort of a... a class based out of the jail that has a garden component. And he said, yes. Mm. Matt Mutter is an amazing, I mean, just an incredible jailer. He and, mm. and Tracy Bellamy, uh, who he works closely with, and really all of the staff there. Now, are they elected? They are elected mm -hmm. officials. Okay. And mm. they, I mean, really are doing a superb job serving that community. Mm. This is not an easy job. There's a lot of just a tiny sidebar and shout out to Glasgow. As you say, you have a an active sustainability group and so many good things going on. But Glasgow itself, I think, has, um, in my mind anyway, always um, for decades been working toward um, being a good place to live and owning a lot of its own uh, utilities and using some solar power for electricity and yes. I mean just and we have a thrive bounty of the Barrens Market uh, was one of the four farmers market I think we have hmm. in that tiny little town. Think about I mean, that, yeah, yeah. I mean they're doing really amazing stuff. There's an organization called Sustainable Glasgow that's very involved. I mean, so from the perspective of an interest in local foods and uh, and sustainability related issues, it's really a very exciting rural place to be in the state. And so Glasgow, we love you and we're learning from you and we thank you and so tell us yes. more. Yes. So, and I love you too and as it <laughs> happens so what you may not know about me is that I live in Lexington and I actually commute to this campus so I commute two hours and 15 minutes for this job and you will as we progress in this conversation see why I do that because there's nowhere else in the state that I could do this work in this particular way hmm. so I am really grateful to be at this campus hmm. and all the support that I've gotten from my department chair and my colleagues who are all in Bowling Green and the my colleagues who are not sociologists and uh, regional chancellor at the Glasgow campus 
campus in support of this work. So that has been a very important piece of this. But okay, so need, need in the in the detention center, yes. people need things to do during the day, and they're eating not the best food in the world. So they might be interested in growing their own. And then what happens? And they're and then they're allies, people from the community who see potential, and yes. and the jailer. Um, yes. And his assistant. Okay. So what we end up doing is a three-week, over the winter break, three-week fact-finding mission where we meet with everybody under the sun, including kitchen staff, everybody at the jail. I start meeting with local farmers and bringing some of those in because I'm not an ag professor. I meet with the ag professor who I bring into this as well um, at sociology, or sorry, at the Glasgow campus. And Project Breaking Ground is hatched started and starts in January. So I teach my first class, which is the Sociology of Agriculture and Food class, at the Barron County Detention Center. I had last semester, so in the fall, spring semester, I had 15 undergraduates from WKU Glasgow and five incarcerated women who were applied for and selected to participate in this program. Interesting. The so course, interesting. So this model was based after the Inside Out Prison Education Program, which involves bringing um, undergraduates and um, inmates together around different kinds of classes. It's a national classes. program? Well, it's a program based out of Temple University. I think it was where okay. it was initiated. So we, there, we'll put links to these things okay. on our Okay, on so, our there, so there are faculty who are doing this kind of work around the country. As far as I know, nobody has done something around gardening uh-huh. or food justice or anything like that. because you're the pioneer. Well, it's because it, it's the way that this project sort of came mm-hmm. together, right? So um, anyways, and so this is a three-hour class, and last semester it met three hours on Thursday mornings, and we had um, two different aspects of the curriculum. We had an outside curriculum, which involved in learning about a sustainable agriculture technique, mm. um, primarily through the use of permaculture, starting with composting, raised beds, hygge culture, bees, lots of what it means to have polyculture, mm. all of these kinds of skills. And then we implemented it in the three-fourths acre um, area that flanks the Barron County Detention Center. Wow, that's big. Which was pre, it is big. <laughs> it was previously just grass. Uh-huh. And so what we've done is we transformed it into an oasis of food. And um, we transformed about half of it into this mm-hmm. using partnering with an amazing local farmer, Josh Johnson, who um, actually is the manager at the Barron County Farmers Market, Bounty mm-hmm. of the Barrens, who has overseen this project and continues to show up every week to oversee work groups. Um, and the incredible mind and inspiration of Tim Kirchival, who is a permaculture farmer based out of Barron County, uh, based out of Warren County, who is going to transform land management across this state. Oh, wonderful. So, um, and we need it. Oh, we do need it. And we do need it. We were extremely lucky to have been able to pull the two of them into this project, along with other amazing partners. Like we have a, a local farmer who hopes to watch their bees. We have, I mean, this, this project has about a dozen community partners. Which, which is, is another kind of, aspect of it. Which it's just just mm-hmm. we'll just pause for one second and say that um, complex agriculture is generally better than simple agriculture uh, in all kinds of ways. And complex, I think, complex community initiatives, comple- meaning complexity, where there's lots and lots of people involved who have uh, overlapping 
self-interests um, make for it makes for strength, and so you and it makes it fun, and yeah. it means that everybody's talking about it. I mean, uh-huh. it created this energy that mm. I never would have expected. The energy that took off from mm. this project, I really wouldn't have. But you're right; a lot of it comes down to the number of people that were invested in it, mm. and the incredible background work of my students and former students who are part of this community, and they did the legwork for this. That really did. It is incredible. So so there's the outside curriculum where we learn about sustainable agriculture and we actually install that piece. Mm -hmm. And then there was the inside curriculum. And the inside curriculum was a food justice curriculum. Mm -hmm. So this was about how do we rethink our relationship to food? And this is one of the things that sociologists do well is also help us think about food injustices. So how is it that given our current food model, certain subgroups of people, and primarily based on race, class, and gender, are disproportionately burdened by the problems of our food system. So we do that deep thinking, heavy work inside the classroom, and we bounce back and forth between outside and inside. And I have my students, all the students inside, we call them our inside and our outside students. They all have the same assignments. They all work in groups, mixed groups together. Everything is exactly the same, and they received a certificate for completing the course at the end, the inside students. Um, so we're all on an even playing field as we, as we move along. So um, it was an incredible experience. At the same time, I brought my research methods class in to evaluate the effects of this project. Uh-huh. So they worked to do that piece. Um, and then Lindsay Reynolds' agriculture class, she was teaching an environmental sciences class at WKU Glasgow, helped and came in and designed a, an herb garden. So they were, her students were more minimally involved, but mm-hmm. also involved as well in this project. So um, we were astounded by the community effects of this, as well as the sort of transformative effects for the inside and the mm-hmm. outside students. Mm-hmm. Um, and my research method students are working on publishing that right now, which is really exciting. And the jail said, please, 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 please. We're feeding 200 people fresh food now uh, several times a week from this garden. We've got all of this excitement and interest. The inmates have an increased morale. And then there have been these additional benefits. Can we keep it going? So this semester, I'm teaching a follow-up course with new students, new incarcerated women, and new undergraduates there at the facility. Um, is it the to, same, does it have the same name? No. no. Mm-mm. This is called Food, Community, and Social Change. You, and it has, yeah. Do you think that's something that could go on without being associated with a class at the university? I mean, could it be it self-generating? Could. and? You certainly. So there are lots of prison gardens themselves are on the rise around the state and around the country, right? So there's lots of models of prison gardens out there. What's unique and different about this is there's two things. First of all, the focus on sustainable methods is very unique. So most of these programs involve plowing up a field, planting a bunch of, of seeds, throwing on some miracle grow, and then the inmates weed all day long. Right. That is not a model that involves learning for the in, for the incarcerated individuals, right, about new techniques that they can then go off and use in their own personal lives and then in terms of getting career, you know, jobs, et cetera, right? So there's that piece. And then I think the educational piece is very, very important, the food justice piece, because while it's exciting to be part of this garden, you don't really understand the extent to which access to fresh, healthy food for everybody is an imperative, is really, really important, unless you do the food justice education work. Sure. So do you think, I mean, is that something that the university is going to go forward with in the future? Or is it just like mm-hmm. semester by semester, you've got to see? 
Well, so what at, in order to create this as a sustainable model, right, one of the selling points for me is that I already had a student who was employed by the detention center teaching inmates. And what we agreed to at the start of this is that she would continue to teach the curriculum for future inmates who go through, who continue to maintain the garden. So, so we're working that piece out. <coughs> yeah, so that's the way that this works right now, is working right now. So an interesting, also an interesting sort of both happy and sad um, contrast between this institutional setting for a new gardening initiative and, and school-based ones, like mm-hmm. elementary school or whatever, public school ones, is that there, there are people who are um, in the detention center right through the growing season to, do the, to, yes, to be involved. It and it, it, it's, one of, it's still one of the big challenges, and p- there are people working on it successfully, but it's still one of the big challenges in school-based gardens uh, that students are away um, for the peak of <laughs> growing, yes. um, but not, not, not here. So were you, so and how, labor how did is that really ha- important. That's an important part of the sustainability of this project. Mm-hmm. And that's why having a local farmer who shows up every week to lead work crews and to be able to continue to teach these practices was so important piece of this and why having year round sort of labor matters. And what we've now doing is the Barron County Detention Center is starting to take that labor and that knowledge to support other community gardening initiatives in Barron County. I'm going to talk uh, about in just a minute, we have an amazing Contour Swales community garden behind the soup kitchen that the Barron County Detention Center is now being brought in as a partner to help provide some of the needed labor to get that fully thriving the way that it could be. So As what, are the green toppers. We, wa- so, we want to hear about that, but so there must be yes. something in the middle. You've got another segment you want to, to well, connect Well, no, I, yeah, oh, okay. so I am going to, there is another segment <laughs> in there, but I want to talk about some of the sort of surprising effects of Project Breaking Ground for okay. the inside and the outside students and for the community, which I think you guys would may be interested or some of your listeners may be interested in hearing let's, about. Let's do that and then we will have a little oh, break and we'll a- come back. No, no, I want to hear this first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, for the inmates, I think it was really exciting and amazing to see the relationships that they formed with the outside students Uh and the fact that they felt treated like they were being treated like everyday Mm. ordinary people Mm. to to be able to put aside that stigma for just a minute and be able to participate in something that is bigger than themselves was really transformative and it resulted in our and a lot of our the women that participated really changing not just their individual morale but their ideas about what they wanted to do with their lives. So we had one of the inmates who wanted, who had always been interested in starting a rehab program for, for drug abusers, who then wanted to build it around a garden project because of the healing power of nurturing mm-hmm. and of learning these kinds of skills that are about rebirth, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Another student who has since enrolled at WKU Glasgow. She will be a sociology major starting in January <laughs> because what she took from this is, oh my goodness. I'm smart enough and capable enough that I could go to college, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. And for the inside students, I think this is a totally different way of teaching. And the understanding of what sort of food justice is all about, you can teach it in a class till you turn blue, but until you get out, have an opportunity to get out and try to do something about it, you get very discouraged. Mm -hmm. So this opportunity to try to actually be able to partner with other people and do something themselves got them very, very excited. And they continue to maintain leadership after the class ends. They stay involved in these projects after the semester ends. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that they all start composting at home, teaching their friends how to do hookah culture. 
they change the way they eat. So we all we will options. eventually define hugo culture. Yes, we yeah. will. I will tell you what hugo culture is <laughs> yes. in just a second. So, uh -huh. And then finally, the community got very excited. We had this like drive-by of cars every Thursday morning to see what in the world we were doing out in the garden. And we had a Facebook site, which is just a little plug to Project Breaking Ground Facebook site, where we update every week what we're doing. And it has a lot of hits from community members who are following this project and what it means. Yeah, I think we already put that link up, but we will be sure we put it up again wow. on the Hot Water Cornbread uh, Facebook page, yes. Um, okay, I want us to take a break because I know that Chris always has fantastic music. Um, yes. <laughs> Pre-planned pre that help, that it actually helps sort of make the points that we hope people pick out and make. But just before he does Oh, I'm so curious it, what you come up with. <laughs> I know. Pressure, now pressure. I've got him really set up and it's going to be row, row, row your boat. Um, but I do want, I just want to underscore one thing or maybe we want to come back to it and that was that went by very quickly, Nikki, and that was the, um, oh no, didn't lose that train of thought. Oh yes, the the idea that what's, what the students who are inmates are learning is radically different uh, level of capacity for their future work um, compared to, okay, now I can go work in some place where I can pull weeds all day, um, which is, I mean, there's something, I'm not doing it justice, but there was some, something that went there that was um, and very, I would say powerful. that our outside students had the same experience. I, I don't think that our college education currently, as, as it's created right now, does much to empower students to imagine a future for themselves that is exciting and builds on their skills right. and could involve social entrepreneurship. And is good for the earth. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. And they form all the networks in the community to be able to do that. And so that's how they also continue to get involved from a job perspective when they finish. We're going to all be moving to Glasgow before long, I have a feeling. <laughs> so let we are going to take a break here at Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food Radio. You're with us at 93.9 WLXULPFM Lexington. I'm your host Rona Roberts here with my co-host Chris Michael and our host in absentia Weta Michael and our wonderful guest Dr. Nicole Brazil. Live the American dream. Choose a new home that uses less water. If your next home bears the WaterSense label, you'll save about 10,000 gallons per year. That makes sense for you, for our environment, and for the generations to come. Even if you're not in the market for a new home, you can join the We're for Water campaign. For more information, visit www.epa.gov slash watersense. Do you need that perfect touch for your next event? Mariachi Azteca offers services for every kind of event. Anniversaries, birthdays, proms, parties, and more. You can make that moment special with Mariachi Azteca. Available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. For more information, you can call 859-382-7384. Sitting down here on a pardon bar. Nobody no harm, uh -huh.
I was born to let my back Shot my wife, uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're back with Hot Water Cornbread Kentucky Food Radio. I'm Chris Michael here with Rona Roberts and our special guest, Professor B. <laughs> professor B. She'll, she'll be our in-house professor for the for the rest of our time together. We're so glad to have you, Dr. Nicole Brazil from Western Kentucky University's Glasgow campus. She teaches sociology, but in ways I promise you, people, if you've had sociology classes like 10 and 15 years ago, you don't know nothing about what's going on um, compared to what Nicole is doing now. So, um, although I. Well, Okay, let, let's go where let's go to the most important things since we already see the clock ticking down again <laughs> on these I've wonderful got to learn, big stories. I'm one of these long-winded professors. No, no, you have like, so, stop no, talking. No, there's so much What's going on. What's the heart on. of this? <laughs> it's so good. So, are we ready to talk about the South Kentucky, South Southern? Is it Southern Kentucky or South Kentucky? The South Central Kentucky Community Gardening Initiative. Okay. Yes. You I'm very. Hear about yes, that? I am. Okay. I, since I grew up in South Central Kentucky, I thought so. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what this initiative is, the Soki Community Gardening Initiative. So as you know, this we've been talking thus far about Project Breaking Ground, which is a sustainable um, jail garden and food justice project that uh, is a collaboration between WKU Glasgow. Um, the Barron County Detention Center and the wider community. Well, one of the many sort of offshoots of that project is that people in the wider community heard about what we were doing and got interested. So I received a call in, I think maybe March of this last year, um, from uh, Diane Sproul, who works for the Barron River Area Public Health Department. And she was interested in doing some sort of, of community gardening initiative as a collaboration and had no idea how to do it, but she said, I've heard you all are the ones that know how to do this. Mm. So in three days, we designed <laughs> a model for nothing like fast turnaround time. We submitted that application. She called me on Friday. We submitted an application on Monday. It was funded on Wednesday. We started on <laughs> Thursday. So I love this. We brought it with nothing like we're not wasting time, are we at all? So we brought in. Um, Fifteen thousand dollars to for to support a network and web of community gardens in the region. Now we approach this task from a very different uh, vantage point. We began by trying to host a workshop on how do you create sustainable community gardens from two perspectives. There's sort of two pieces to that. One was how do you create the sustainable community gardens from the perspective of the gardening initiative? And mm -hmm. this is where permaculture practices come into play. Mm -hmm. So permaculture is a type of sustainable agriculture that is very different than conventional agriculture. And it's all about starting with the health of the soil and trying to, to create healthy soil and polyculture. So one of those techniques you mentioned was hookah culture, right. right? Well, hookah culture, unlike a typical raised bed where you, which you would create with what cedar or perhaps cinder blocks and then fill with soil, hookah culture starts with rotting logs. What do lots of farms have excess of? Rotting logs. Why? Because they have to <laughs> cut them down and then they put them in a burn pile and they burn them, which contributes to climate change. Right. 
That's not always the best way to go forth. What could we do with all those rotting logs? Well, what if we sequestered that carbon by taking them, piling them in a giant pile, and we're talking three, four foot high pile, and then you cover them with one to two feet of a soil mixture. And in our case, we used a mixture of manure, topsoil, which had lots of clay in it, which is just fine, hay, and leaf mulch. And then what you've created is this super fertile bed that continues, right, those logs continue to decompose, which what? Feeds the soil. You got it, and mm -hmm. it maintains moisture. It creates a wonderful fungal network. You don't have to fertilize it or water it, and it is far more productive than anything you've seen in a conventional bed, mm -hmm. even in the first growing season. That is so interesting. Uh, see, I thought uh, that I was going to say as a joke that I thought hugel culture was basically pile everything up and let it rot, but it's so much more than that. <laughs> it is so much more than that. So this is a German um, technique, growing technique, right? Yes. So permaculture can teach us, we can change how we do land management from the, this is what you do as a backyard gardener, is hugel culture. And in fact, we did put a 40-foot bed in our community garden next to the jail, and in fact, in two weeks time, or week and a half, on the 22nd of September, we're hosting a community hugelkultur making workshop for people in Barron County who are interested in learning about this technique. And we're going to put in another two 40-foot beds on the site so they can learn how to do that. How tall are they? They're five, six feet tall. They're very tall. And that, that they, gradually comes down. gradually comes it, down. Even in the first season, does it come down? Uh -huh. uh -huh. It does slowly start to come uh -huh. down over time, yes. So what did you plant? Oh, in that first uh -huh. hugelkultur? Uh -huh. Well, it go, we have three different gills. We planted three different gills depending upon the season. So we started with potatoes and chives and greens, covered full of potatoes. Chives all over the top, uh, green onions and chives. It sounds like lunch. Top. Oh, it, it was delicious. <laughs> and covered Chives, in potatoes, and dill. And it was yeah. the first thing that started really seriously um, feeding the jail, even though we had another 20 raised beds hmm. produced with conventional methods on huh. that property. Mm -hmm. So, and then for our summer, we planted it with uh, various kinds of squash and cucumbers and other, let's see, what else? Strawberries we put on there for the summer guild. And then the fall guild, we're about to cover it with garlic and um, a bunch of other stuff. We'll find out. Whatever Tim tells us, we're planting. <laughs> so we're going to find it in, I know in three weeks' uh, time. Everyone's bound to be hungry listening. So, and so now we were talking about this, the Southern oh, yeah, the, the South Central. Yes, well, so does. Okay, so okay. how does this tie up? Yes, so, I'm sure it does. Okay, right. So we're talking about how land management, so that's at the backyard gardener mm -hmm. thing. And then you can move up to what is called contour swales, where you use a backhoe to make these contour swales. The next swales, S-W-A-L-E-S. S-W-A-L-E-S, mm -hmm. swales. Mm -hmm. It's the next step up for how you would do sustainable agriculture in a, using permaculture principles. And then there's silvio pastured, which is the full, large, 100 acres of farming um, techniques. So part of what we are learning about and talking about is how do we transform the landscape to try to incorporate these practices. So starting at community gardening level, how do you create community gardens that use that flourish with abundance of food? Some for us, some for the natural world. Okay, that's a change in how you think about even community gardens. Right, and stop resenting the, what the yes. what the what the insects, birds, and the groundhogs and it's get. About, <laughs> right, it's about using techniques that create flourishing abundance. Hmm. And then from the other perspective is how do you create community gardens that get long-term investment by community members? Mm. The other kind of sustainability. The other kind yeah, of sustainability. The, the human system. power uh -huh. piece of it, uh -huh. right? So we designed a <coughs> workshop for that. Um, but the key, normally, when you create a workshop, you just what you put up a bunch of flyers, yeah. Well, what sociologists, especially those who are trained in development and community development can tell you is that it's all about the organizing. It's not about the event. 
And we don't spend nearly enough time. If you Mm. want diverse constituents to be involved and invested in projects, it's all about getting them at the table beforehand. It's not about I feel like you're giving away secrets. You're giving away the secrets of developmental sociology. And might as well, because we'd be better (laughs) off if we did this. Okay, so so say more. So what that means is, I. so we included in that grant money for two of my students to organize this whole thing. Hmm. And so they spent six weeks calling people in the 10-county region Literally, it's like it's like knocking on doors. Mm. You start with any organization or institutions or people you know. You say, "Who's interested in this?" And you pay attention. You, you're very intentional about issues of class and race and gender. Where are those people and places who get left out of the conversation? Mm. Let's find them. Mm. And then when you find them, you invite them, you follow up, you do everything to make it sure that they're there. So our workshop, which we held at the detention center, was crammed full of people and not the people that go to these workshops. the people that we wanted and so we had out of this way more applications than we thought there were 15 people that submitted applications we we funded 10 of them in one week (laughs) again these are 10 community garden 10 community garden (laughs) efforts across rural the rural areas Uh, including uh in bowling green was one of Uh many counties here and so we had these incredible gardens for example hope harvest or, or well there's this new garden called hope harvest that was built at um, Hope Harbor, which is a sexual assault recovery center in Bowling Green, and they created a huge uh, backyard of full of hookah culture that would be a space for sexual assault of, uh, p- victims of sexual assault to come and maintain that that food Beautiful. and then take it home with them. Beautiful. And one of those other efforts was in Barron County. It was the G-Town Soul Swales. We have uh, Latoya Drake, who's an amazing African-American woman in our, young African-American woman in our community, wanted to create a community garden that was attached to the community to the soup kitchen in the neighborhood and to incorporate the neighborhood and the housing authority and even bring the black churches into this. And so they created it using these contour swales. And what's the magic of the contour swales? So the contour swales, what they also do, so what you're doing is you're digging with the backhoe dirt up and piling it on these contour swale piles. Then the water falls into the trenches and it rehydrates the earth. Oh, so there's like, it's almost like windrows, but it's made of earth? Uh, It would be like rows of... uh, like you see when people pile up hay before they bale it? Does it look like that? I don't know uh, what it looks like. I don't, I'm not sure I know what that oh, looks okay. like. So I don't know if the analogy helps. Uh-oh, like, old farming and new farming. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm not a farmer, so yeah. there, I'm, I'm also learning this as we go, I'm right, from our farm, farmers. Yeah. Um, but okay, what it has done is, again, you've created a system that doesn't have to be watered. Mm-hmm. and doesn't have to be maintained. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. less labor, mm-hmm. a lot less labor, right. and it's growing in abundance. Which, of course, I don't know how many people who are listening have tried growing things. We're always encouraging people to grow things, even one basil plant here on Hot but Water Corn Prairie. It is very hard, and it's very, very hard, especially from, let's say, the 1st of July till, till the 15th of September. Yes. And that's right when there's many things out there for people to yes. to reap and, and enjoy, but it's so hard to get oneself out there. there there are weeds, there's just everything bad. But this method of production sounds like it um, um, increases the good and decreases the bad. It does. It absolutely does. And so it's a really exciting new model for community gardens. And so all of these community gardens all over the region were supported, many of them, and the sort of inspiration behind them came from Tim Kirchival's brain who understands how permaculture works. So we're going to try to connect people design. to them. Okay. And then I am trying to help support those efforts to help make them so how do we bring the labor in like for example the soup kitchen one I just I, we were just at the board meeting we need more labor just to harvest we have so much food Wonderful. so yeah. there are these conversations now we're thinking about well what would happen is 
for those who are already eating at the soup kitchen, they're offered, let's say, a $10 farmer's market token or IG gift <coughs> card to go out and work for a couple of hours mm -hmm, on that. So how mm -hmm. do you bring people in, create mm -hmm. a situation then where people are excited and invested mm -hmm. in it, and then over time you wean the incentives away. Mm -hmm. But the whole project is really about food security. Mm -hmm. and so you need to target the people you want to have that conversation with for these to be sustainable efforts. Okay, so Nicole, you and, and uh, um, Chris, I think, was getting at this, mm -hmm. headed toward this earlier, but you, your home base is the regional campus of a state university. Yes. And you said <laughs> while we were on break something really, really interesting that is so obvious, but I'd never thought of it, and that is that our students in Kentucky, I think Kentucky still is the state where most of us stay home. We have the most people who stay in Kentucky who are born in Kentucky, I think, of any other state, or we're at the, near the top. But in addition, people who are going to our community colleges and the regional campuses of our state universities are people who live there, will live there, their families live there, their friends, their connections, their faith groups, their they are uh, not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Okay, so what does that mean to a sociologist who wants to bring about change and, and particularly food justice? That is a tremendous gift. So the way we currently think about our community colleges and our regional campuses is that it's all about basically workforce development. Use them as opportunities to train students to go on and do the kinds of work that's already there and that employers need. I don't have a problem with that, except I think they can be so much more because there's such, this is the democratic potential of having a community college and a regional campus system, right? Is that this is the chance to teach critical thinking skills. And this is the chance to, to train students in other kinds of, of skills like community engagement, for example, that make for a good life in a community. Right. And so when you bring the students into the community to do community projects that really are making a difference for the everyday common person who doesn't have a voice, and many of them don't have a voice, FYI. Your they, students. My students yes, have you, never yes. had a voice. They are more marginalized, working mm -hmm. class individuals. Mm -hmm. They realize, oh my goodness, I can have a voice. I can be part of the community conversation about where we're going. And once they learn those leadership skills, the classes end, but the skills and the investment in those projects and in the wider community doesn't. Because the opportunities to apply them don't go away. That's right. <laughs> They're just, they just, I, I'm sure there's the, your students, they have scales fall from their eyes about the many, many places and ways in their communities that they can apply the things that they're learning in, yes. in these classes. They yeah. just never realized that they could actually be part of the process. Well, and you're building community where maybe none existed before. So, I mean, between all, all kinds of different groups, which is neat, through food. Through food. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you got a song to capture that, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> give it, give him till next week. <laughs> but I, I mean, I really, I do think it's a very exciting moment to be teaching at a regional or community college campus. And the last thing that I would say is, you know, part of what I've done a lot of thinking about, you can't, you've got to change how you teach if you're going to teach in one of these settings and if you're going to hope for this. It can't just all be lectures and let me just tell you what's going on in the world and let's have abstract thinking about what we could do to change it because that's disempowering to students. So if you're working with working class students, you have to change your teaching methods. And in this case, that means I draw a lot of inspiration from Paulo Freire and popular education techniques, which is really about starting what they from what they know, mm -hmm. starting from their experiences and helping them to come together to understand, wow, that's not just happening to those people over there in the jail. That's happening to me too. Mm -hmm. 
On the first day of class, when I do this exercise where students stand up if a statement applies to them, I just did this two weeks ago with my students who are taking this class, my undergraduates and my incarcerated individuals. How many of you have experienced hunger in your lives, real hunger? Three-fourths of them stood up. Wow. Three-fourths. In the number one farming county in the right. state. Right, right. Right. has that amount of hunger and right. people have no idea where their food comes from but you have to start with activities and projects that begin from where people's lives are and help them connect the dots and develop a sociological imagination where they see the connection between their experiences other people's experiences the broader structures and how they're changing and give them a way to make change let's let's close with something um that i think may surprise some of our listeners and not not all um that you told me Nikki in the parking lot again in our fam- our famous parking lot conversation, and that is your inclusion of um, in, in working with. Stu- well, first of all, let me just say that one of the things that I think I'm understanding is that your students, um, as you have described them, really come ready for this kind of engaged learning. And you talk you talked about um, in June. You talked to me about fishing and hunting as part of the um, ways that that. Uh, students, your, your students, mm-hmm. Kentucky people, I'd say deeply Kentucky people, um, which we're all one half a hair away from that mm-hmm. if we're not right in the middle of it, um, have thought about sustainability and, and think of, I mean, that's, that's not the language that, that would be used. No. But can you say a little bit more about that to bring us into that aspect of our own uh, culture and maybe seeing it a little bit differently? Um, Sure. I mean, so this semester, so at the end of last semester, I had students develop in group projects their ideas for how could you scale up this food justice work? What would you like to do to take this to the next level? And they had the idea to create some sort of a food justice regional group Mm -hmm. of community members. And so the question was, who would be involved in that and what would you do? And they said, well, this is our community. And in our community, the people that have a stake in thinking about issues of food injustice are not always the people that, like, in fancy cities, like the kind of highfalutin local foods promoting people. They didn't go and have coffee with with Seltzer added recently. Well, they didn't. (laughs) They didn't, no. What they said is... Well, heck, we want to talk about food security. I mean, yeah, we've mm-hmm. had a lot of experience with hunger, mm-hmm. but what we do have that's a strength of our rural community is that we know how to hunt and mm-hmm. we know how to fish. And many people still have backyard mm-hmm. gardens and their grandmothers know how mm-hmm. to cook, mm-hmm. how to can. Mm-hmm. And why don't we start with all of the strengths that we have in Amen. this region yes. of it's not local food in the traditional, in the way that we've come to think of local food, mm-hmm. but it sure is community survival strategies around food, and it's building on those strengths to address real problems that go hidden, even in rural counties. I love that. I think we And could so they're going to do it <laughs> <laughs> this semester. They are. Wonderful. <laughs> I think we can, we can go out on that note. Um, we, and I, I, did, I wrote down a quick food safety tip because WIDA always ends with food safety tip. And this is a Rona food safety tip that I've learned from WIDA. She's always telling us to wash the outsides of the vegetables we're going to cut through, mm-hmm. um, which I never realized you need to wash a watermelon or wash a, a cantaloupe. But I realized this week you have to do that when you get home with it and before you put it in your refrigerator because otherwise if there are pathogens on it you put them in your refrigerator you get out your melon and you wash it off but you've still got especially those things that love cold you've got them in the refrigerator so wash your melons before you put them in the refrigerator that's rona's um unscientific food tip um for to take us out for today so I am Rona Roberts one of the three lucky people who gets to co-host um 
Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food, Food Radio here on WLXU 93.9 LPFM every Tuesday at noon. Um, you can stream it, as you probably know, at Lexington Community Radio. You can look for our podcast at Savoring Kentucky and on our Hot Water Cornbread Facebook page. Chris Michael, thank you, my co-host, for doing everything good, running the board and thank bringing the music you. and talking. Um, and Dr. Nicole Brazil, Professor B, thank you for being with us and for sharing this amazing information. I feel like, okay, we've made one step forward here, and we're going to want to have more conversations about this as you keep moving forward. Well, I'm so us grateful to be here. This was really a lot of fun, and it's such an important venue. And thank you very much. Really. Thank you.